What is minimalism? Is it just getting rid of stuff, or is it living more meaningful with a lot less clutter in your life? Those are questions that we're going to explore in this special overtime edition of the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. We have a special guest, uh, Keith Colbeck, who is a minimalist, and we're going to find out what that means and uh, how it can help you in your life. Uh, with me, as always, Roger Kincaid. How are you doing, Roger? Oh, grand. Thank you, grand. Excellent. And I, Keith, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Dave. No problem. I'd like the record uh, to show my response to how are you doing was more minimalist than the- <laughs> <laughs> So, I, Keith. I said, the, I said the right amount of words. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're going to get into a proper definition here. Actually, you know, truth be told, so this is kind of funny. You know, Dave and I kick ideas around about who to interview, and our podcast, the National Talkie League podcast, which is sort of you know the genesis of of this partnership uh, that, that Dave and I do. Uh, it really focuses a lot on current events and politics, and then a little bit of the pop culture, the you know the lifestyle that we live here in Alberta and Western Canada, and, and you know onward and outward into North America. So the Venn diagram goes. Uh, so, you know, Dave comes up with this idea. He says, well, you know, we can interview my friend Keith, who's a minimalist, and it might be an interesting conversation. And there was absolutely no apprehension. It was just like, that's that'll be very interesting. Let's do this. So I'm really jacked about this conversation. I want to learn a lot more about minimalism and, and you know, um, kind of the evolution of it and why it's a movement. So yeah, sure. take us take us through, Keith. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you want to start with what it is or how you got into it, but it's your ball. So uh, so you choose. Well, I think it's uh, I think those two things go together. Um, so minimalism is is a a part of a larger movement of uh, slow living. Uh, so slow living is a movement that's been around for quite a while. Um, particularly the last 10 years, and is focused on um, kind of running counter to the pace of modern life. Um, we keep seeming to add complexity to our lives, add stresses to our lives, and slow living is a way of looking at what we're doing and what we're bringing into our lives and questioning it all um, and adding more intention instead of the automatic behavior. Uh, minimalism specifically is a tool that um, allows you to evaluate uh, everything. Uh, stuff is the easiest way to represent that. Um, but it, there's kind of a lot of levels to minimalism once you kind of get into the mindset. Um, the idea being that most of us accumulate stuff rather than uh, curate it. Uh, we say we have collections of things. Uh, what we're actually just doing is getting lots of those things. Um, and uh, there's not a lot of thought behind um, these kinds of behaviors. There's a lot of automatic behavior. So there's different types of minimalism. There's a wide spectrum. There is, uh, I'm on the slow living end where I'm really questioning the things in my life, but also behaviors in my life. There is a extreme minimalism that is about counting your things and, you know, people who live out of a backpack and people who live with only 75 things period in their life, people who, you know, go from Airbnb to Airbnb and live off the grid, all these kinds of, there's all these different variations. 
Um, for me, I'm a bit more, uh, I, that's not a life I want to live, but it's the ideas behind that I find a lot of uh, appeal in. Yeah. What, what, dro- what drove you personally to minimalism? Maybe you can answer this question two different ways. One, your personal sure. experience and two, and just the, the broader sense of the movement. But what drove you to minimalism? Um, and is it a means of correction or, or, you know, treating a symptom in your life? Uh, there's, there's a bunch of different things that kind of came together at once, honestly. Uh, so, um, my, my wife had some health challenges, um, in the past year that, uh, required that she watch very little television all of a sudden that she had to be careful with, um, how she used her energy, how she used her time. Um, and she's, she's doing well now. It's, it was, uh, um, it's something she's had to work through. Um, but when she could watch one hour of TV a day, suddenly we couldn't binge anything and suddenly we couldn't watch anything by habit. So if we had to, if we wanted to watch anything, if we wanted to watch the new season of Homeland, we could watch one episode a day. Um, and that led to what, what I call intentional television. So our TV for, to this day doesn't turn on unless we know what we're going to be doing with it. Uh, it does not come on when we walk in the house. It comes on because we are now going to watch 45 minutes of, we just finished Homeland. That's why it's top of mind. <laughs> we watch, we're going to watch 45 minutes of Homeland. Then the TV goes off. Um, we don't, I've never, I haven't flipped channels in a year. Um, at the same time, I was I was at a yard sale and I picked up a pile of 78 RPM records for like a crazy great deal. It was like 10 cents a record or something I bought them for. And I, bought, I got a little record player and I was playing these things. And that act of taking the record out, carefully cleaning it, putting it on, listening to it, filing it away, the, the mechanical part of that was very appealing. And suddenly I realized how long it had been since I really listened to a song. Um, even though the iPod's going all the time, when was the last time that I heard the lyrics of a song that was playing? So these things were all kind of percolating. And then uh, at Christmas, there was a, a documentary called Minimalism um, by these guys that call themselves the Minimalists. It showed up on Netflix. And when I saw their documentary, it was like, okay, so they've got a recipe of 10 things, five of these I'm already doing and they're working well for me. So I'm going to start doing these other five and see where it leads me. And so what were the other five things that you weren't already doing? I think there's a lot of other questioning that I wasn't necessarily doing. Um, and one of the things, what I was doing uh, as far as how I'm using digital, um, how I'm using social media, um, how I'm using my time in general, um, so at that point I was doing, I had been co-hosting a podcast for about five years and, uh, I loved doing the show, but the enjoyment had kind of gone for me. Um, and it wasn't my show. It was really after five years, I still felt like a, like a guest. So decided I wanted to go off and do my own thing, which ultimately led to my blog, um, went through a bunch of variations before it got to my blog. Um, and, uh, but also looking at like you know the automaticness we have of social media of Facebook and Twitter and 
those things are designed to be addictive. And I wasn't asking great questions about what I was getting back out of that. Uh, I was putting in lots of time. I was putting in lots of attention. I was putting my eyeballs on all the ads that Facebook puts in front of me, but I wasn't asking great questions about what, what I'm doing with my time and how that affects me. So would it be fair to say that it's basically in general, it's a, it's the act of uh, being more specific or more determinate about your actions or how you're spending your time? Absolutely. I mean, one of the other phrases, I mean, minimalism is one of the terms for it, as I said, uh, intentional living seems a bit broader to people. Um, I mean, minimalism has, it has connotations. Um, I mean, certainly minimalism is going to be thought of as the aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I need some water here. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I consider minimalism, like the, the first image that I conjure up is, is the one where, you know, it's a, a white couch in a white room with hmm. two black picture frames with black and white photos in them. And then it's like, <laughs> hey, let's go out and get some chai. Yeah. And I, I really think carefully about whether you need those picture frames. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the first, <laughs> the first thing I think of is, uh, is it, is it Kanmari, the, uh, the Japanese mm-hmm. yeah, lady yeah. that wrote the crazy book about stuff. I have read Kanmari. And if, if you, uh, so I have a blog and I have a YouTube channel. Uh, Roger was watching one of the videos, um, right before we started recording, um, Launched my YouTube channel a couple weeks ago. Just so I wanted to play with that stream. Uh, but Kamari is one of the ones I talked about already. Uh, I, I, I read Marie Kondo's book. Um, and I liked a lot of the thoughts in it. Um, but I also found it a bit um, a bit rationalizing, to be honest. Um, I thought really that she uses what's like the term she uses is that your things should spark joy. Um, (laughs) and like, that is so incredibly broad to me, like, and like spark joy, like at that moment or potentially will spark joy. Um, joy is not something that, you know, you're going to have to define that for yourself. So there's, you're not, there's no metric for joy. If you have five things, should you only take the ones that spark like the most joy out of like the five? I, I don't know, it seems yeah. a little kind of mushy to me. Uh, this, this thing sparked me three point seven five joy. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but it's on the upswing, though. Last week it was only three point two joys. So <laughs> That's right. Things are really looking out yeah. for this thing. Yeah. Make sure you graph that too. Like you don't try to remember that stuff. Oh no, you got to accumulate uh, <laughs> a lot of spreadsheets and ledgers in the minimalist lifestyle just to make sure that your minimalism is on track. Yeah, I mean, do do them digitally. I mean, don't uh, don't don't bog yourself down with a lot of hard copy ledgers. So um, you 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 mentioned this this notion then this concept of of living intentionally, right? So is it is is that kind of the overarching premise or the thesis of of the concept altogether which is that the the less stuff that you have to focus on the more that you can focus on the stuff that um that you ultimately know is truly important and meaningful to your life absolutely i mean what i do like about marie kondo is that uh, her focus on decluttering um that you have that you have a place for everything um like the the full level of of Condo's book is that every single thing you own from a sock to a pen has a place it belongs. And at the end of every day, everything goes back to where it was. Um, Cause her big thing is you should only have to declutter once. 
Um, it, she, she has no children, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that's correct. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, one thing that's been been interesting to me as I removed things from my life. Um, I've gotten rid of, um, I would say, ninety uh, percent of the movies that I owned. Um, probably seventy five percent of my comics. It, might even be tipped over a little further than that. Um, I'm probably f- floating around 50 to 60% of everything I owned has been cut down from, you know, January, February, uh, the past six or seven months. Um, and as I remove these things, I'm always astounded by, it's like of unearthed treasure. Like I take, you know, there's 10 things on a shelf and I take eight of them away and suddenly those other two things look amazing. Because I can actually see them. Um, so there is that aesthetic focus of like, you can enjoy the things you really love more if you take, you know, all the superfluous stuff away from around it. So, yeah, I was just going to say, when you say you, you know, you're down to 60% or, or what have you, the idea isn't that you're depriving yourself of things or that you're getting rid of things that have deep sentimental value to you or, or meaning to you or, or whatever it is. It's, it's the other books, right? It's the other eight books on your shelf that you've kept and you think, oh, maybe I'll read that again one day, but maybe you never do. Or uh, I suspect just from having talked to you that you've decided, oh, I can get that on Kindle. That doesn't need to be taking up physical space on my shelf. Is that is that kind of the angle? Absolutely. And honestly, a, a huge portion of my motivation as I've worked through this is uh, is I had this light bulb moment of if I have a copy of absolute salmon on my shelf. Uh, I had mentioned this when I was talking off air with you, Dave, that I, I had a, co- I had a complete set of the absolute Sandman hardcovers. Uh, if you're a comic fan, you know what those are and they're heavy. They're ungodly heavy. They're hardcover oversized books. Uh, it was over 40 pounds for the set of them. I know because I had to weigh it so that I could sell them on eBay. Um, and I've read them twice in 10 years. In that 10 years, those physical things, I've moved around the room, I've moved from place to place, and more importantly, no one else could read them. Um, I've now put them back into the world. Someone else is going to enjoy them. Hopefully, they won't hang on to them, but that's that's on them, not on me. Uh, but there's a, there's an inherent selfishness in hanging on to a library of stuff, a physical library. Um, every piece of clothing that you own that you do not wear is doing nothing for the world. It is not helping a single person, including yourself. Uh, every book that sits on your shelf and you do not read is one book that's not going to go into the hands of a teenager who discovers it and it's their favorite book they've ever read. Um, those things are, like, to me, they're inherently selfish to hang on to these things when they could be giving value to someone else. This is a really great way of looking at it, I think. That was me taking a screenshot, sorry, uh, because I wanted to know, and, and I'm going to post that in the uh, in the show notes here. I just want to know if Keith is maybe going bananas looking at Dave's um, backdrop <laughs> compared to mine. Not at all. I, I assume every everything in Dave's room provides him value. I am I'm sure that right after he records, he's going to pick up every one of those items one at a time and ask himself, does this spark joy? Okay. Dave's got, uh, <laughs> Dave's got an amazing collection. Like that's a curation of really cool stuff. Um, and you, you, I know, listen, I know this is a podcast, but we do the show notes for a reason. You'll be able to kind of get a glimpse into his lifestyle, but Dave, what are the figurines and what is the alpha flight comic? Because I kind of feel like I want to come to your house just to play. 
So the uh, uh, basically on the shelf here, the front part of the shelf is uh, small uh, plastic Futurama figures. Okay. So nice. they're, they're just little tiny. They were like ten bucks each, too. These were crazy expensive. Should never spend that much. Behind that is a row of Funko Pops. Uh, we got. Uh, let me guess on the figure. let me let me guess on the Alpha Flight before you get to it. So just okay. keep going. <laughs> so yeah, so there's there's a bunch of different uh, Funko Pops. Uh, next to that is uh, is my monkey. Wicked. My uh, my corporation is called Monkey Boy Consulting, and so that's my uh, my mascot monkey. And then uh, the shelf above it is a uh, a small uh, Alpha Flight picture that Keith will now guess as to the nature of. Oh, is it just a picture? Mm. It looked like the omnibus to me. It is not the omnibus, but it's a. Oh, it must be, a, must be a print of some sort. Oh, fun! That's great. Yeah, that's the so mini. It's a, it's a it's a Lego version. Oh, cool! Of Alpha of the Alpha Flight, the first cover. There, there are no, uh, there are no Lego Alpha Flight characters, but there was a, was a Mini Mates set which right. I just sold on eBay as I de- as I decluttered. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should have talked to me first. Uh, <laughs> like, so, and I mean, not to not to prolong this this portion of anything, but uh, this is this is great podcast, by the way. Yeah. This is, you always want to do as much visual stuff so in an audible that, medium. The part that as you're possible. not seeing is the front of my desk. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> And then the shelf up there that has the, all the Funko Pops on it. And then the top shelf is 100% Lego. And there are <laughs> a crap ton of minifigs up there. Oh, that's so cool. If you've seen the Lego movie, just remember that scene from the end when uh, when the kid comes in to play with the room full of Legos. That's, uh, you know, Dave's the bad guy in that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, the boy's name is in that film is actually Finn. Uh, which is also the name of my dad. They're, they're, adult, they're adult construction. Uh, adult construction. <laughs> they're toys. So, so this is kind of this is interesting, right? Because I'm I'm going through a period in my life right now where I'm trying to get rid of some stuff. But when, uh, like, I, Dave has never complained to me that he's oh, I'm just buried under my possessions, or he's never appeared to be overly stressed out. Like, I wouldn't say that Dave's curation of of these uh, particular items that he's just mentioned are impacting him negatively to the point where he doesn't live an unintentional life. So um, is is that to say that like – is minimalism an applicable uh, like remedy for something for everybody or is it just sort of like a to, hey, to each his own, this is what works for me? I think it's it's about asking yourself those questions. Um, I, I, I don't do uh, – well, maybe for Dave, I'll do – I'll offer a short minimalism uh, uh, – audit uh you know there's a small <laughs> fee involved dave but uh <laughs> no i mean it is i think it's it's about asking yourself questions about um what uh, what does work for you i mean it, the, and all of this every item in there could spark joy for dave just to draw just to just to beat that dead horse with marie Kondo's phrase um however if Dave had to move, I bet you not every item in that room sparks joy. <laughs> and that's that's how I see it, to be honest. Well, see, is that yeah. I start thinking of if I had to move this, would I move it? And if I and if I would not, why do I have it now? The amount of Lego I have in my basement makes moving almost impossible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, at a certain tipping point, you can just build a whole new house out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Buy some land, move all the brick. There we go. You know, I do. I do sort of come at this conversation as though 
like as though minimalism itself adopting this philosophy and this movement has a, a, a benefit uh, that is attainable by all. So it's, I mean, to give it some context, um, you know, we know that, hey, if you quit smoking or you don't start smoking, that's going to be better for you. Uh, that having practicing good sleep hygiene, it's called, you know, getting to bed at a proper hour, sleeping in a dark room and, you know, uh, budgeting your sleep so that you're getting the right amount of it. Like these are all benefits that everybody uh, are, are all things that everybody can derive a benefit from. Is it the same with minimalism? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, as I said, there's there's a lot of the stuff is the obvious part. Um the stuff is the thing that you can you can get a lot of leverage with that you can by doing a decluttering of a room or of a space or of your of your storage area um you get a really quick um feedback loop you get uh, there is an endorphin uh release of um particularly if if you've paid for storage for example um, like so many people have a big house bigger than the houses we grew up in and then pay for storage offsite um, to put boxes of stuff that you haven't opened in years. Um, so you can get a really immediate bonus by getting rid of your $200 storage unit, dumping that stuff, donating it, selling it, whatever you're going to do with it. And ta-da, you've saved $200 a month. Um, that's really quick stuff. Um, but I would say like the bigger benefit I've gotten from, from minimalism is, um, being more thoughtful in my actions, um, being more thoughtful with what I do with my time and my energy. Uh, I, I listened to your show, uh, your last show, you talk a lot of politics and it was funny because um, as you're talking, I'm like, I don't have an opinion on that. Like there's, there was a few things I agreed, a few things I didn't that I disagreed. And I'm like, mm, there's that, that I, don't, I just don't have an opinion on it um, because opinions is something that I've minimized. Uh, <laughs> a surprise. It, it, Going through my day, a surprisingly few amount of people ask me my opinion on a you know specific political topic, so I don't bother having them. Um, <laughs> there's no upside to doing it. <laughs> so that's that's time that my brain can go do something else. It's just a shelf full of opinions after a while, and you got to go through them all. <laughs> you got to figure out which ones you're keeping. You, you got an extra storage unit that you're paying to keep your opinions in. <laughs> <laughs> Roger's got a couple of those. Yeah, I got opinions all over the floor here. <laughs> Can't even close the cupboards. It's opinions. I'm lousy with them. It's terrible. So, Keith, I don't know if you want to – I hadn't talked to you about this before. So if you don't want to talk about this, it's cool. But when we talked uh, – so I, I got together with Keith uh, a couple of weeks ago because I had specific questions. So uh, so my, my thing is, of course, I have a lot of Lego and I was about to get a bunch more and I need some shelf space. And so – I knew that Keith was uh, the master of uh, minimalism and he had been selling things on eBay. So I went to get his opinion and uh, to find out a bit more about that process. Uh, so while we were talking, Keith, you were telling me about sort of your end goal and uh, the goal behind selling off some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about that on the podcast. If yeah, not, that's totally fine. But if you do, I think that was a pretty interesting uh, sort of a goal for all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, there's different approaches to minimalism. I, I always recommend, I, will, I would always recommend that you do these things quickly because like I said, there's an endorphin, there's a, there's a bit of a hit with um, decluttering a room or a space, donating a bunch of stuff. Um, so there's a few things we did that got, gave us a lot of, uh, minimalists talk about leverage. Um, it's, it's what gets you to the next step in minimizing. So, Books have basically no value anymore. 
Um, you can use, there's a couple places you can trade in used books, but in general, used books um, are just being given away. Um, used bookstores are disappearing. It's just the nature of where we're at right now with technology. Um, and so we, and my wife and I piled up our, all of our excess books. I basically got rid of everything that is available digitally. Um, I capped maybe 20 books that there is no digital version. The library won't have them. If I get rid of this, there will be no way to get it again. Um, I may still look at that in a, in a year and go, well, I haven't read them in a year. So like they might still be able to go. Um, so we donated 300 pounds of books to a charity sale, loaded up the car and just got rid of them. And that was great. It gave me tons of, tons of room, tons of momentum to go on to the next thing. Um, that said, I am now in my mid forties and when, from the time I started college in the mid nineties, I have had a level of personal debt. Um, so outside of my mortgage, I have had a student loan since January of 1997 that is now finally paid off. In the meantime, I had some credit card debt. Um, it never got out of hand, but it never got paid either. Uh, I have been chipping away at both. Um, and then a year or so ago, I was able to consolidate everything down and it was one, but it was still one big number left. Um, and uh, I looked at that and I was chipping away and chipping away and I'm just not getting anywhere with it. Um, so I looked around my room and I started asking myself, how many things in here could I get five bucks back out of? How many could I get 20 bucks back out of? And if that's the case, is there a single thing in this room that I would not trade to have my debt reduced by that amount? And I, it's very little in the room that was, that that wasn't the case. Um, so the idea that I could start pushing the stuff out the door and it's been an incredibly slow process. Um, and it starts chipping away. Um, that also gave me a lot of motivation to every extra dollar that comes in, um, is going onto that debt. Um, I got a little, um, I came into some extra cash and that went on before I had thought of anything instead of the normal thing of I'll get a treat for myself. The treat was put it all onto my debt. Um, so I have managed to, um, I've paid down, um, I don't know where I'm at right now as far as I know I, I presently have, this, this is a better way to think of it. I now have less personal debt than I have had since January of 1998. Good for you, man. That's so mortgages, mortgage aside, I mean, the mortgage is, it's something the minimalists will argue about. <laughs> uh, many don't want to have a mortgage um, and that works for them. Um, having a house works for me, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm starting, to, I'm seeing, I can start seeing the light at the end. Um, and uh, like I said, when I, when I got that money and I, my first impulse was get yourself something nice. I'm like, you know what? The day that I, that, that, line of credit goes to zero, that's the day I can get myself something really nice because I'm not paying the bank for the privilege of owing them money anymore. Well, and um, it also opens all kinds of doors for you, right? Now, instead of, oh, now I got to take this money and, and service the debt with it. Now I'm going to start putting that towards, you know, going to France again or, you know, taking that trip I've always wanted to take or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it opens, I mean, Having not owing money is an incredibly freeing thing. Um, the amount of stress it takes off of you, 
uh, you know, I think of the times I've been most stressed in my life and, um, you know, if, when the economy gets bad, when I'm not sure I'm going to have a job, um, that looks a lot better if I've been putting away $500 a month in the bank instead of paying $500 to debt. Um, you know, it, within a year of being debt-free, I'll have a nice cushion that if something were to happen, then, you know, that's the way, that, them's the breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, and if you owe money, it's, uh, you know, it's like the old Goodfellas thing. Like, I don't, you know, you, hey, you had a bad day at the job, you know, screw you, pay me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. There's always someone up in the pound of flesh. Yeah. Get these braces, screw you, pay me. That's, <laughs> no, that's just that's it. You, know, it's, I, it's, you didn't tell me if I could swear. No, you can swear all you want. It's, uh, uh, but, but, <laughs> but we do so minimally on this program. I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that thing, that old saying, right? Like if you owe money, you don't own anything. Mm-hmm. So, so stuff that could help uh, our listeners here specifically. We you were talking about books before that, that you went through the process mm-hmm. of, of downsizing or getting rid of a lot of books, DVDs, comic books, things like that. What can you tell uh, other people that are thinking about doing that? You know, some of our listeners right now are thinking, "Man, he's right. I got way too many books." Oh. So uh, most of it, I suspect, is going to be bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but maybe you could touch on that. And also we talked – when you and I talked, we talked a little bit about that whole uh, – the uh, you know, was it the uh, the sunk cost fallacy? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it, that that comes up a lot, particularly comic collectors, um, anyone collectible. It's, and it's funny uh, that you bring it up, Dave, because when you, when you talked about the toys that are behind you on the shelf, you didn't say that you loved them. You said these are the Futurama figures. You said something like they're kind of cute and they cost $10. So you didn't talk about how much joy they brought you. They didn't talk, you didn't talk about how you can't wait to give these to your kids when they're, you know, old enough to appreciate Futurama. You, you didn't talk about how you pull these off the shelf all the time and stare at them. You mentioned that they're $10 though. I remember that very clearly. Yeah. So what the sunk cost fallacy is, it's basically, I mean, in a, in a simple form, it is uh, good money after bad. Um, the idea that you you spent a lot of money on this item and you're not going to get that money back out of it, so you should hang on to it. Um, the money's gone. Um, so for me, um, clothing actually I think is something that people can understand a bit more because uh, if you don't collect comics, then you know you don't collect this or that. I know lots of people that say that they live a very minimal life, uh, but I'm sure that there are closet would be overflowing with clothes they don't wear um and clothes are the best example of what i was saying about selfishness um if you have clothing you're not wearing guaranteed to someone who could be wearing that today um so i had 57 t-shirts i cannot wear t-shirts to my job which means i have 57 t-shirts to cover evenings days off and when i'm at the gym um because i can't wear them to work so that means that at I had a month's worth of t-shirts if I wore two a day <laughs> before I had to do laundry. Um, and there's no way I was wearing all of those. So, um, And it's taking up space. Every time I wanted a specific shirt, I had to move 56 of them to get to the one I wanted. That's time that I, that's wasted. Um, they are taking up space that could be used for something else or nothing else. 
um, the Marie Kondo's method is, you know, you, you do fancy things with every, with each piece of clothing, um, and make sure it sparks joy. Um, but you get rid of most of it. Like that's, that's the big trick of minimalism is that it's a lot, it's really easy to declutter your stuff if you have less of it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I think a great thing to do would be, um, do a really serious look at your, uh, winter jackets. Um, you know, it's fall. We're going to be going into winter. Um, winter jackets are like, they're like gold. We're in Canada. I mean, every, every, everybody's going to need a heavy jacket. Um, refugees coming into the Canada, into the country will need these winter clothing. Uh, homeless people clearly need them. Uh, low income people could use, uh, could use them. Uh, charities would welcome them. Uh, Salvation Army and, and such that sell used clothing will definitely be able to use them. If that's sitting in your closet, ask yourself some serious questions. Did you, did you wear that last year? Um, if you have three winter jackets, do you actually wear three winter jackets? Uh, what's the value? And, but that's one that you're, you're going to start doing the math on. We're like, well, that jacket cost me $200. I'm just going to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that $200 is gone. You gave that to the Bay. That's the Bay's money now. And what you're doing right now is giving over a square foot of your house to something that you do not use and it's it's chipping away. So it's not $200. It's $201 that you spent. Next month, it's $202 because <laughs> you're giving up that space, it's, renting yeah. it out to a jacket you don't wear. That's an interesting way to look at it. Here's an interesting way to phrase that question too. And I think this will be very helpful to half of our listeners. Open your closet and think and ask yourself, say, I have 17 winter jackets. Would my husband appreciate it if I eliminated 15 of these? <laughs> Is there a specific listener you wanted to send that out to? I don't know of I don't know of any just one Dave where. <laughs> but it's like, but okay, but in seriousness, who among us couldn't open up our closets and go, holy shit, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I did that I'm a little proud of that I'll boast about here is a couple of years ago, I opened my closet one day and I looked at my shirts, mostly work shirts. And I thought, my God, all I have is black shirts and blue shirts, solid black shirts, solid blue shirts, lots and lots of them, dress shirts and polo shirts. And none of them, you know, to steal the, the phrase again, uh, sparked any joy in me whatsoever. Um, but I remembered that time when I bought that shirt from Tommy Bahama with all the big flowers all over it. And man, I really liked wearing that shirt. So I made a, I made a pledge to myself that day that I was only going to wear shirts that made me happy from then on. And so now I wear a lot more sort of floral prints and things like that. They're all collared. They all have buttons. They're all acceptable at work. I mean, just on the edge of acceptable, I guess, but all the shirts I have now I like, and they make me happy. And if I discover they don't, then maybe it's time for them to go. I think that might be that, that first step down that road. Is that, is that something you'd espouse or? It's it's funny because there's uh, uh, there is a there is a school of thought um, there's something called decision fatigue that uh, that people get and it's it, the idea is, is that you have a finite amount of choices you can make in a day yeah. and it wears your brain out to constantly be using that um, so there are a lot of incredibly successful people uh, such as Albert Einstein Mark Zuckerberg uh, the two off the top of my head who 
uh, actually have gone go the other direction. Uh, like Mark Zuckerberg has has a, a running joke that he has like twenty of one t- of one color t shirt exactly the same, twenty of one color hoodie exactly the same, twenty pairs of jeans exactly the same, and does not make any decision on that. <laughs> um, I had a I have a coworker who has a uh, has a sock collection and he loves unique socks. Um, brings them lots of joy, lots of value. And I think that's like, that's what you're going with. Like, uh, you know, you want unique clothing, things that are going to be different every day. Um, I, so that's what, that's, what's useful to him. That's what's like brings him joy. That would drive me insane because I would have to spend an hour every time I did laundry matching socks. <laughs> and I, I do not want to spend another minute of my life matching socks. I've made a choice that matching socks is not not something I am going to spend any of my life on. Uh, and so what's joyful for me is when I do laundry, um, I actually have a I, I bought a big pack of matching black socks, big pack of matching white socks, and that's it. So when I do laundry. Black socks in one pile, white socks in one pile. I don't match anything. I don't fold anything. I don't tie them up into little bundles. They just get thrown into a drawer. Like there's a black drawer, white drawer. <laughs> but that's not something that brings me joy. And cl- clothing never has, to be honest. The so clothing is – I like print T-shirts. Um, so I'm I'm choosy with my print T-shirts. Everything outside of the T-shirt, I don't care. Right. So I, I, you know, I kept about 15 or 20 T-shirts. But I only kept two pairs of jeans and two shorts and – you know, et cetera. Um, Cause the t-shirts do bring me joy. Hmm. Books are something I think that a lot of people get caught up on because mm-hmm. those were, those are a holdover status symbol, right? Like to have a good library mm-hmm. yeah. is, is a thing, but it's less so now. I mean, you've already covered off uh, the fact that those resources are almost a hundred percent digitally available. Now there's no need to actually have physical books. You can get the same uh, work curated on a Kindle or an iPad. Um, so how do we explain that 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 just that willingness or unwillingness to let go of these these holdover symbols of something? Books have a really unique status in our culture, um, and uh, as I listen to other minimalist thinkers, as I go through slow living stuff, it is the one that comes up more than anything else. Like like oh I'm with you, I'll get rid of everything I own, I'll get down to thirty pieces of clothing, but I need my bookshelf. Uh, I need to have my physical books. I'm like, well, you can read on a Kindle. Oh, I, c- I can't read digitally. I'm like, okay, but there's a library five minutes away from your house, and we have an amazing library in this in this town that can bring me. You know, it is like I summon the book, and it comes to my local library. So I don't. Even, it doesn't even have to be in stock at the one I have. It, within like a day, it'll be brought forth from somewhere else in the city to me. Uh, and people have. I mean, that kind of bled over into movies. I, I think that. You know, people called their collection of DVDs a library as well, which I thought was a curious um, way that that that, that term bled over. Uh, and I think maybe it was because they organized them, because they they were put into a package that looked like a book. Um, it made people want to keep them like that. Um, and also the Dewey Decimal are- System, right? Like you'd go into Future <laughs> Shop and you'd find your movie by the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Dave, surely yours are done auto, uh, auto, like alphabetically by director, right? <laughs> <laughs> As any sane person organizes. Well, of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the only way to do it. Otherwise, you've got like airplane next to airbender. 
It's very, it's very curious to me that like, folks that have no problem get re- getting rid of movies, and then they have hundreds and hundreds of books that they, you know, that they tell uh, they that they will swear bring them value. But how long does it take you to read up like a book? Like, I mean, you could watch fifty or a hundred movies in the length of time that you it takes you to read a book. Um, Depending on the book, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so, that curious right, is a bitch, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and depending on the length of the movie, I suppose. But <laughs> we're just we're going going with a broad metaphor. Um, I mean, I I tried to reread every book that I owned. Like when I like before I started this process, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to bring a lot of new books in because I have this collection of books I supposedly love. So I'm going to reread them all. I reread like ten. Out of like you know a hundred, maybe <laughs> maybe out of two hundred, um, so th- yeah, it is like I don't know whether it's there is that level of status, but there is also it's a it's a way to look intelligent too. Um, yeah. It is something that's still represented. It is still an incredibly common representation of showing someone like if you're showing a film of a smart person, they're going to have a library. They're not going to have a shelf of DVDs. The smart guy in the movie doesn't have a rack of DVDs. The smart guy has a rack of books. Um, there is, they can be aesthetically pleasing. Um, there's companies that sell faux books um, to decorate houses. They just, they're just the spine of books. Um, and you put them up high enough that no one is going to reach. But, but honestly, no one's actually going to do it anyway. You could, you could hide anything up there. Um, <laughs> The chances of someone walking into your library, uh, I, I've used air quotes on the word library, um, is pretty unlikely of someone walking in and actually pulling a book off the shelf. Um, so yeah, I think, that, I think yeah. that there's a lot of things playing into that. The idea that like there's, there's the status symbol because up until 50 years ago, the idea of owning two or 300 books was insane. Um, you know, it, you know, you you watch these movies, um, stories that take place in the 1800s, for example, and they're moving with everything they own, all three books. Um, <laughs> you know, they've got the Bible and they've got something by Twain, and then like the and then the the third one that they love, and that's what the story is actually about. But like, <laughs> you you don't you don't hang on to things like that. That's ridiculous. Um, so I think there's a lot of things to play into that. And, but books have this special level. Like, even as I listen to other minimalists, they talk about, uh, well, I'm being, I'm very intentional with my time, so I don't watch TV, but I, they still read books and there's nothing inherently better about a book than about a movie or a TV show. It's all a, a broad art for, art form, you know, Godfather versus 50 shades of gray. The book <laughs> isn't much of a comparison, but in our culture, we have this, broad interpretation the book is good tv is bad movie is so-so because it's halfway between the two yeah my favorite snob thing is like the book was better than the movie and i immediately go oh fuck (laughs) off the movie took two and a half hours (laughs) i was just thinking i could throw all of the books i own except uh the game of thrones away because i'm in my mid-40s that would probably last me right up to my dying days Books do <laughs> books do condense a lot of value. That's the thing. It's like you you even mentioned it yourself, Keith. That you know you can watch you know fifty movies in the time it takes you to read a book, uh, which kind of gives books like inherently more value in a way. Like you're, this is more of a pastime than than watching films. Yeah, if you're interested in filling up your time, books are definitely the way to go. 
Um, Especially books they, in they, other languages that you don't understand. Yeah, yeah particularly <laughs> if you if you have to learn another language before you read the book, even better. Like like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of hours before you even crack the book. Like a Clockwork Orange, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So one thing that I was just thinking, uh, so I actually did a, a sort of a, a book downsizing uh, and you'll be shocked to know why. Uh, it was because I needed my bookshelf for some other things that I needed to have in my home. I so badly uh, wanted you to say it's because we had a second child and we needed that room. <laughs> So uh, I, will, I, will cha- I will challenge you on one thing, Dave, before you go on. Yes. Uh, I bet I, I bet you $100 that our local library carries Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, right. Can you get it right now, though, or is it out? Listen, I'm not, reading Game, re- I'm not reading Game of Thrones, and here's why. Because by the end of the second chapter, when I started reading it, I was, you know, or the 20 pages in, I was like, oh, sir, I don't know who the hell this is, is talking to sir. Who was that guy again? And I'm done. There's a thousand characters in that book. And then there's four page description about what someone's eating for lunch. So uh, the guy's brilliant at making a plot. He's not so awesome at, uh, at much else in my opinion, but we're not here to talk about you. <laughs> so when I, when I downsized my books, uh, I did the whole thing. We're like, yep, nope, never going to read that one again. Don't really care about that. And got rid of it. And what I noticed was, uh, so one of my favorite books uh, is Dune, right? Mm-hmm. Paul Herbert, Dune. Frank Herbert, sorry. Frank Herbert. Um, All Atreides, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so then I bought the full, you know, the, the six books in the in mm-hmm. the main Dune series, and I remember reading them and going, "Well, the first one was amazing. The second one was okay. The third one, what the hell's happened in here?" And I don't know. Maybe I'm done with all this, but I still have all six of them. And then his son started writing some more prequel books, and I have all of those. I'm pretty sure I haven't read more than half of them. So I have, you know. Maybe two feet of shelf space for one book that I really like and a bunch of other stuff related to it. And I bet you that's probably the case for a lot of people. There is something to be said for that whole uh, collecting aspect, right? Or the completest thing where, well, I've got two of these books. I've got to buy the whole series now, right? Whether I'm going to read them or not, I'm still going to buy them all. That is – it would be amazing value for yourself to get out of the idea of being complete. Um, because I, I absolutely had exactly the same thing. I, I also love Dune. Um, I love I love the first three. Um, I, str- I I struggle for probably a year to make it through the fourth. Um, and uh, it, what you said about Game of Thrones—that's my experience reading the prequels, where I'm like, "Who is this guy? Like, why is he why is he even talking?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then because they did the ones that were prequels with at least characters you had seen in Dune. And then they're like, okay, a thousand years before that, this is what happened. Like a thousand years before that, I don't give a crap what (laughs) happened because you're just going in like you're introducing characters that lived a thousand years ago and died 998 years ago. (laughs) When really I loved Paul Atreides. Um, Completionism is, uh, is, is one of the things that leads us to accumulate so much stuff um, because uh, you know, pop culture is f- constantly selling us new parts of itself. Um, you know, in the in our generation, um, we grew up with. You know, we're the Star Wars generation. We are the generation that has to prove that we loved something. 
The only way that we can show how much we loved a movie is by buying crap related to the movie. That's what Star Wars taught us. Um, you know, you, the big, you, the bigger the Star Wars fan, the more crap you had. You had, you read all the, had to read all the books. You had to read the extra books. You had to memorize Splinter of the Mind's Eye, uh, even though you know it gets, even though it's weird now. Um, you had to buy all the toys. That's how you showed what kind of fan you were, and that started that spread. Um, you know, everything that now everything we have has merchandise tied to it. All these big franchises have merchandise, and the the sequels and prequels and spinoffs are another form of that merchandise. Um, you know, you have to go see the new. You have to go see Rogue One because remember, thirty years ago, thirty five years ago, when you liked Star Wars. Um, someone on Twitter got furious at me because he, you know, uh, Force Awakens was coming out and he said, well, I haven't liked a Star Wars movie since halfway through Empire, but we'll see with this one. And I'm like, do you think maybe you don't like Star Wars? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you, you liked, you liked what you haven't liked a movie since halfway through one in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay to just not like it. And he was so mad because the idea that he would go, that he would stop going to see these movies, that he has hated four and a half of them already. <laughs> like he was, he was sped, assuming he didn't watch them more than once, which you know seems unlikely for a Star Wars fan. Um, wouldn't no matter what kind of fan you are, um, you know, you've put in like fifteen hours of your life to something that you continue to hate, and you're about to put to spend twenty dollars to hate it again. <laughs> Like, what are you doing with your time and money? Um, So it's, I mean, I I absolutely have fallen for it with with different kind of collectibles of, like, I I like, um, I like Star, I like Star Wars. I like, you know, when the Star Wars toys started again in the 90s, I bought tons of the toys. And and then I'm like, well, there's too many. I can't possibly buy it. I keep buying tons. So I bought stuff only from the original Star Wars movie because that's what I love the most. And I'm like, okay, well, that's still too much. I'll buy just stuff from Tatooine in the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> and then that's another year later. That's still too much. I'm like, okay, Jawas, just, just Jawas. That's what I'm going to do. Like 15 years ago, I'm like, okay, nothing but Jawas, hundred percent Jawas. And I can't possibly keep up with Jawas. There's like thousand dollar pieces of Jaw of Jawa memorabilia. And I can't have it. Like I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on it, so my collection isn't complete because I don't have absolutely every Jawa thing ever made. Like, at what point did these stop giving me any joy? And I'm just doing this because that's the kind of thing you do. Yeah, you're chasing you're chasing that joy that you'll have when yeah. you have it entirely collected. And I mean, but it's funny, right, Dave? Because I mean, you're the the self professed James Bond fanatic. In in episode uh, National Talkie League episode 27, we were even talking about like how you just rewatched the. Daniel Craig movies. So obviously these are items that bring you joy, but in the same breath and people should go back and listen to episode 27. You're like, die another day though. That was utter garbage. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but yeah, you've, wa- yeah. you've probably watched, like, I know you, that's the kind of movie that you would walk out of if, if you were watching it on an airplane, but you've probably seen that movie more than one time. Haven't you? Yeah. I've seen it more than one time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is sort of fascinating. I, I mean, how does that jive in what you're talking about, Keith? I I would say actually that the latest James Bond movie was was one of the light bulb moments for me. Um, it, uh, when Spectre came out, this kind of like it preceded my my current kind of wave of of minimalism. But um, Spectre came out, and before I went to see it in the theater, because Spectre and Force Awakens were coming out in a short order, just a few weeks apart, 
And so I'm a big Star Wars fan, big James Bond fan. And I looked at those movies before I went and I thought it's weird that whatever I think of these movies when I see them in the theater, love them, hate them, best thing I've ever seen, walk out halfway through it. Because they're part of a fandom that I'm into, I'm going to watch these again every five to 10 years for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's just so weird. <laughs> like The idea that I, you know, like, you know, I, I saw Rogue One twice in the theater. I thought it was okay. Why did I see it twice in the theater? <laughs> it was only okay. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Rogue One yet. I just should throw that out. I still have yeah, it's free on Netflix now and I still yeah. haven't watched it. Call yourself a Star Wars fan. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> before we get too far off track here, here's something I wanted to do. Oh, sure. I had a thought for you, Keith. Just collect sure. the first Jawa that we see in Star Wars. Not all of them, just that one. Thing. <laughs> Just, you get to decide just, which things, which just, representations just, are that one. So just Hank, the first Jawa that you see, give him. A, <laughs> just he's, I think he's the, I think he's the one that's got the got the stun rifle. I think that's the first one you see. Yeah, he's uh, he's not the one that has the thousand dollar bust. By the way, he's the one that has yeah, the twelve dollar. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, so here's a little game. Uh, I suspect Keith will have more fun with it than Roger, but you never know. <laughs> so both of you have the fo- the following series of films. On your shelf, I'll give you the series of film, okay. and you have to very quickly tell me which ones you're keeping. Okay, okay, can't be all of them, but uh, I don't know, maybe sixty percent, whatever your number is. Okay, we'll start with Roger. You're both going to do the same set of movies, but Roger's going to go first this time. Okay. Uh, Roger, I, I know Star exa- Wars. Okay, I was going to say I know where this is going to end up, and I don't want to be there. Star <laughs> Wars. Uh, yeah, I could Star Wars movies you're keeping. All right, and you're talking about like all of them, right? I've I've got you, all of them. I'm currently own all of okay. them. I'm keeping, Even though I know you probably don't. I'm keeping okay. only Empire and Jedi. I can do without the rest. Excellent. Keith? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, three through seven. Three and I won't get – and, and okay. I, I will not be buying Rogue One on, uh, on Blu-ray. Excellent. I do have the complete set because they they're jerks and they won't send you, sell you three through seven. <laughs> They'll sell you one to six, but they're not going to sell you three to six. <laughs> something interesting with the bond films the way that they market them they're very very smart i bought the blu-ray the complete uh 23 movie set at that point before specter had come out they leave you a blank sleeve with a blank fake uh plastic or a, a cardboard specter disc in there this is where your next movie's gonna go by oh, the wow. way that's brilliant how brilliant is that but do they leave a do they leave a sleeve for never say never again and just like a nod and a wink? Like Oh no. No, <laughs> no never. No. <laughs> All right, next series, indie. Uh start with Keith. The, uh-huh. the Indiana Jones films. Which ones are you keeping? Uh I I actually made this choice. Um I kept uh I kept one to three and uh and I will never watch Crystal Skull again. I'm good. <laughs> Even though I'm a big indie fan, I watched Crystal Skull maybe three times and then capped out. <laughs> again, asking myself, why is this really so, something I want to do to myself? <laughs> Excellent. Roger. I'm going to take the VHS tape of Temple of Doom <laughs> and I'm going to pull the ribbon out of it and I'm going to clip only the collapsing room and the rope bridge scenes, and that's all I'm keeping of the entire <laughs> oh, trilogy. No, no, you got to start from the, the from the uh, the mine cart. 
That the last 20, you know, 20, 25 minutes of that movie is, is amazing. Okay, fair ball, fair ball. I well, just wrote Roger. I'm so then is there, there's a making of Indiana Jones that has just those scenes and then like the behind the scenes of how they made them. That's perfect. <laughs> That's for you. See, that to me is the whole movie. Right there. It's not yeah. a knock on the first three films. It's definitely a knock on the fourth film. But uh, <laughs> but, but that's just all I need, I think. <laughs> all right. Uh, starting with Roger, we're almost done. Uh, Star Trek. Which Star Trek movies are you keeping? Um, only um, Search for – Khan? What's it called? Looking around for Khan? <laughs> Trying to find Khan? Where's right, Khan? <laughs> Dangerously seeking Khan. Dangerous, that's that's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Keith, go. Uh, director's cut of, uh, of motion picture and uh, uh, Khan and uh, Undiscovered Country. Be How come he's allowed to just say Khan? I was trying to name the whole movie. <laughs> What about Khan? Star, Star Trek Two, semicolon the Wrath of Khan. That's and the it's, one. It's, yeah. two with, it's two with like the de- like a like an II. It's not the numbered. Yeah, Khan's too wrath. Fast, That's what I was trying to think too of. Too fast, too Khan. I think is what it's called now. <laughs> Who's that Khan? <laughs> uh, Star Trek Two. Tr- Star Trek Two. De- Trek harder. That's <laughs> Keith, Keith nailed the Star Trek. By the way, that was my answer as well, including the director's cut of Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, yeah, do Marvel, not keep, don't that? keep the first one unless – don't keep motion picture unless it's the director's cut. Just, Absolutely. Well, no question. <laughs> uh, the Marvel films. What about the Marvel films? There's way more of those. So maybe you can only keep, I don't know, four. Uh, the three Captain Americas and uh, – the first, well, how many is there now? Two Captain Americas, Hulk, and uh, the the Avengers movie. Okay, fair, fair play. Winter, Winter, Winter Soldier, first first Avenger, and yeah. Um, I might not have a great recollection of all the Marvel movies as I answer this question, but this is my answer nonetheless. Iron Man. With the, the caveat that someone attempts to deliver Iron Man 2 to my house every day, and I refuse to accept the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect answer. <laughs> when when I started uh, minimizing my movies, uh, I had actually – I made the choice that I'm not going to buy any more of the Marvel movies because, one, on if I do decide I want to have them all, they do these nice box sets every seven or six or seven movies anyway. It's cheaper than buying them individually. They are currently on Netflix. They will be on that fancy Disney thing that they will do in a couple of years. Um, but when I stopped, I stopped. Ant Man was the first one I didn't buy. I think that I didn't buy on uh, on Blu-ray. And when I'm like, okay, well, but now it's not complete. Now I don't have a complete set. And if I've accepted it's not a complete set, why is Thor two still in my house? <laughs> 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 and that's what that's what I could start trimming. <laughs> and that's what the collecting does. It makes you do things like buy Thor too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to be complete. I thought about buying Ant Man, and I'm like, it's it's already on Netflix when it came on when it came out in Blu-ray. I didn't even I didn't like it that much, and I was about to spend twenty bucks on it so that I could be complete. And and there's no question when the next Bond film comes out, I will buy it on Blu-ray, <laughs> regardless of how amazing or how crappy the film I think it is. You're right. It's that it's that whole idea that you know I have the rest of them. Why not? Right, in for penny, in for pound. So. <laughs> do you have any more? Have, do you have any more movies, Dave? 
that was all the series that I have oh, written down. I thought you were going to uh, take we could, me to I the make Bourne. Up some more if you need. No, I thought you were going to get into the Bourne movies. And oh, oh yeah, just for Roger. No, I'm I, a big Bourne fan. I refuse oh, to go there. No, I won't do it. I mean, it's easy. Oh, I'll just. I will absolutely. Um, I will actually hand deliver the Bourne legacy to Jeremy Renner and everyone that was involved in that. I would actually buy multiple copies of that just for the privilege of handing it back to the people who manufactured <laughs> that film. But I got to keep the uh, the trilogy intact, man. I can't get rid of any of the first three. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't think I could properly answer this because I'm not entirely sure I know the difference from one born to a movie to another. They're just kind of one really long fight scene to me. Um, if if I have to choose whichever one he beats the guy to death with the magazine, that's the best scene. It's best action scene ever filmed. So uh, that uh, I keep that movie. That's you know it's it's weird, Keith. Your tone of voice sounded like you were criticizing the franchise, but your words were perfectly complimentary. Hey Roger, which uh, which Bourne film was it where he was on the run and uh, his government handlers were trying to kill him? Which which of the three first films was that? Yes. Hey, hey, Dave, <laughs> hey Dave, which which of the James Bond movies is it where uh, where Bond uh, goes rogue and a uh, couple of agents with MI six help him out, but he's on his own for most of the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the last eight, Keith. <laughs> Dave, I'm trying to remember the Bond movie where the first woman to get romantically involved with him ends up dead, but the second one ends up being integral to the solution of the film. All right, you've made your point, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> the James Bond formula is like the most tried, tested, and almost always true in all of cinema. Well, and I've said before, too, that there was a big gap where we weren't getting any new Bond films, and uh, Bourne filled that perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before Daniel Craig's uh, reinvention came on, it wasn't Daniel Craig that reinvented it, of course, but before the Craig films came along, I saw no need for any more Bond films. I was like, you, this is it. You got Bourne. He's the, he's the modern Bond, right? He's doing everything that we expect out of those movies, pretty much. So there's there's a huge born influence on the Daniel Craigs though. I mean suddenly James Bond is a you know a martial arts expert, a parkour specialist and I mean it's Daniel Craig's like second or third scene he's like doing wacky parkour. Like that's yeah. not there's nothing like where where in the the Fleming books do they establish that he's mm. a parkour expert? Well, you know, yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> it's interesting cuz James Bond like he survives on his wits, right? Whereas Jason Bourne yeah. just had innate skills that were beaten yeah. into him. So yeah, don't don't you remember reading the old Fleming novels? He was a he was a hard drinking, lesbian hating parkour expert. <laughs> I don't I don't see where you guys don't get that. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have read the the Fleming novels, but but the first two parts of that very very true. They are quite accurate. Yeah, I I I, I listened to uh, I listened to all of them. Uh, for years, I had tried to read them and I couldn't get into the writing style and. Uh, I found that I loved them when a British person read them to me. <laughs> that was awesome. I listened to all of them through a uh, through the through a free app. Uh, the our local library has a free app that you can get books and audiobooks through. Oh, but nice. I listened to every Fleming Bond start to finish. Absolutely. The last audiobook that I read that fits that category perfectly, uh, because I'm also a big Smiths fan, I got uh, Morrissey wrote his autobiography and uh, or his biography, I guess, because he wrote it. Um, and other uh other way around yeah keith knows more <laughs> words than i do um 
and it's read by sadly they couldn't get Morrissey himself to read it because reading this thing like I don't know if you like him or hate him but the man can write he's brilliant when it comes to putting words together uh, but they couldn't get him to to read it so they got uh, David Morrissey which I thought was really funny <laughs> just get someone with the same last name <laughs> who's got the same last name and and so David Morrissey uh, played uh, the governor on uh, The Walking Dead. As well, that's probably how other people might know him. But <laughs> my he's grand- still really good at reading. It's a brilliant, brilliant listen. My late grandfather's right. name is Edward Morris, so in the phone book he was Morrissey, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. Um, there's some, something kind of uh, occurred to me in the in the in the discussion about movies, and and we mentioned Netflix a few times. Um, Keith, it, you know, you've established quite well here that you look at your library of DVDs and then you say, these are not bringing me joy or they're not serving me where they could be serving someone else. I'm going to declutter. I'm going to get rid of these. And then you, 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 you reasonably argue, besides I've got Netflix, so I can watch movies without having the physical media clutter up my thing. But then you open up Netflix and there's like 500, there's a thousand movies in there, most of which you want nothing to do with. So does, does, is it counterproductive in a way? <laughs> my my uh, my brother, uh, when I mentioned him, my brother, I was getting rid of all of my movies, uh, and one of the reasons is Netflix. Uh, my, my brother, my brother said, Netflix is like having the greatest movie collection ever, but every once in a while, someone sneaks into your house and steals a couple of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you, like wait, didn't didn't I have I've, I had uh, Star Wars for a while? But now it's gone. Now it's now it's not here anymore. That's odd. <laughs> yeah, I just wish you could um, get rid of stuff on Netflix, like so. That, like, because I'll be like Fuller House comes up in my feed, and it's because I watched something else Netflix made that they think I want to watch this tripe. And I just think, why is there not an X in the corner of this card that I can just say never show this to me again? Netflix will will like I mean if you if you do ratings I, Netflix actually um, you know they they tailor they want to show you stuff you want to see uh, that system breaks when it comes to their own created content they will jam that stuff in your face and the the refer- like the the recommendations make no sense you get stuff like you gave five stars to Sense Eight. I bet you'd like Fuller House. I'm like, no, I won't. I, I guarantee there's no crossover audience there. There's- they both took place in San Francisco, right? <laughs> hey, let's let's try and one up each other here with this uh, the the Netflix algorithm. Here's my contribution. It's uh, you liked House of Cards, therefore we think you'll like Adam Sandler in The Cobbler. <laughs> <laughs> I I love when uh, when I watch I watch like five minutes of a movie because uh, here's here's something I do favor in, in uh, for minimalism is uh, fail fast. Um, if you watch ten movie, if you're watching 10, 15 minutes of a movie, and you don't like it, stop watching the damn thing. Yes, um, <laughs> it's there is no movie that gets better. Um, fifty pages of a book. I have the same rule. If I'm fifty pages exactly. of the book and I don't give a crap what's happening to those characters, I'm out. Hey Dave, isn't there a thing every- too where they say to pick up a book and read the twentieth page, and if you like it, buy the book? Uh, yeah, I, sure, maybe, sure. Yeah. They give you a good idea of the writing style, at least. For yeah. the well, and modern books are written so that the first chapter is your hook. TV shows, it's the, it's the pilot. Movies, it's the first fifteen minutes. Um, Netflix is going to be even more so that way because movies are being made for that platform as opposed to being like in a movie theater. That doesn't matter. You've got their money, so they're going to hang around, yeah, uh, like and watch the whole thing. But for v, for VHS, like since the VHS days, 
you need that first 15 minutes. It has to work. Um, TV was always like that. Um, so that means that they've worked re- their asses off to make that first chapter of the book good. They have made it, they've wanted to hook you as fast as they can. Um, you know, the, the great, the great fish move, eh, move silently through the black water, I think is the first line of Jaws. Um, they want to, they want to get your attention. So use that for your, use that to your advantage. If they don't get your attention, that book does not get better than that chapter. You, it is not going to ease into anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I forget where the question was. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of, of, of Tale well, of Two Cities. One thing we should circle back to that, that we got off on a tangent because it's very easy to do that <laughs> um, is uh, we were talking about if people are deciding to make that change that they want to get rid of books that they want to get dvds so you've you've traveled this path already and you're you've come back to tell us that it's it's all terrible but uh why don't you tell us someone in calgary specifically most of our audience is from around here so what do you do if you want to get rid of your books or your dvds here in calgary (laughs) uh i the cases and the inserts for dvds are recyclable and we have a blue box program I, I wish I would have, I'm not really exaggerating that much. Um, DVDs and books, you're hard pressed. Um, both you may find pla- you may find places that will give you trade value. Um, there are still a few bookstores that give you trade value. I, w- I didn't want to go that route because um, I am getting rid of physical books. The I, I like trading them for other books doesn't make any sense. Um, but I think I'll, I'll give you something practical as opposed to um, to that if. You can test this incredibly easily. You can test it starting right now as you're listening to this podcast if you're in your house. Grab a box, fill that box with one shelf off your uh, off your bookshelf. Tape the box up, put it away for a month. See if that matters. Leave the shelf empty. Uh, the An empty shelf is incredibly motivating for me and it feels... It feels interesting to have a shelf that has nothing on it because you start feeling this itch to put something there. And that itself will be enough to make you think about like habit versus intention. Um, and then in a month, see if you actually want to open that box. See if you remember what's in it. <laughs> uh, and if and if you don't, you can you can maybe you want to take eh, take some time and do a second look through it. Maybe you want to pull out any books you can identify. Like you put in 30 books. If the ones you can name, that's what you, that's what you decide you want to keep or just take the whole box and donate it somewhere. Uh, there's great charities that will take books um, and then they sell them for a buck or so. And that money goes back into the community. Uh, that's what we did is all of our books went to a charity sale that happens once a year here uh, in Calgary at the uh, uh, crossroads uh, farmer's market. They do a big one in the spring. Um, and uh, that, uh, Servants Anonymous. Uh, I have no association with them. Uh, they took my books and they were very nice about it. <laughs> they, said th- they said thank you and I thought that was nice. They helped us unload the truck at the car. Um, but that's, that's a great lesson. I would, I would, it, I would it, challenge yourself. Like I mean, right. do th- do things that I, I constantly add challenges to myself and to see what it feels like. Uh, I went for ten. I was off for two weeks in the spring. We spent most of it. Um, in, in Europe. Um, and I said, well, okay, I'm not going to have a 
data plan. I will have Wi-Fi when I'm at the hotel, but I'm going to be in that moment. I want to experience that completely. So I'm taking social media off my phone. Um, I'm not even going to check it when I'm at the hotel for the 10 days that we're in Europe. I'm not on social media. I want to see what that feels like. And it felt so good that when I got back, I didn't go on it until I started back at work. Um, and every, and I ch- constantly am challenging myself. Just try different things. See what it feels like. And and if it feels bad, ask yourself why it feels bad. If it fe- and if it feels fine, then let that stuff go. Hmm. Getting back to your you know, talking about your strategy with the books, putting it in a box, and then you know putting it out of mind for a month, coming back to it, see if you can remember what's in there. Uh, if you replace the word books in every uh, instance that you used it there with the word cat or cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh wow. That's interesting, Roger. Well, it is. It's, it, that's all I'm saying, Dave. It's just interesting if you do that. I had the thought while Keith was talking that one of the reasons I, it's that sunk cost thing. I don't want to get rid of my books because they cost so much. But I was just thinking if I were to donate a whole shelf's worth to one of these places that, that has the big book sales and then I went back and I bought them all for a dollar each. Now I have a shelf of books that only are worth a dollar each. I don't have to worry so much. That's pretty smart. That's brilliant. You know what you do, Dave, actually, not to, not to once again one-up you, but sell them to me. For a dollar each, and then let me donate them to you, and you'll get them for free. You'd be amazed how unattached you are to things that were free. Yeah, then you <laughs> can just you, get rid of you, them. If you walk, you walked into a comic show and someone hands you a free comic, that comic's worthless. Yeah, <laughs> you're, gonna, true. you're like you. You look at three pages to throw out in the nearest recycling bin. Dave, if, you know if, you, if you pull that out of a back issue, Ben, pay five bucks for it. Suddenly, you can't get rid of it. That's yeah, totally true. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, and we know this too. You, you used to, uh, as far as I remember, you used to do some stuff in, in theater and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, and Roger, you probably know this, you know, through through your various channels as well. But giving someone a free ticket is the hardest thing in the world to do. You give someone a two dollar ticket, and it's worth more than a free ticket because as soon as you say free, yeah. It means it has no worth. It has no value, right? Yeah, absolutely. They can take it or leave it. Yeah, no, without question. There's there's absolutely no doubt about it. I wrote a, a I wrote like this 20-page ebook about uh, a skill that a lot of radio performers need to have that most of them don't have, particularly when they just enter the industry, right? And it's basically like this is my cheat sheet and this is my knowledge from 20 years in this business and I'm going to give it to you for free. Shit, man, no one will download it. I'm going to put a price on it now and I'm telling you I'm going to sell this. <laughs> it's just bizarre, well, right? And and one of my my business friends who's a who's a real business guru type uh was was looking through my business model for some of the Lego stuff and and I said, "Well, you know, from time to time I will uh, you know, I'll do a a festival or something and I'll do I'll do the first one for free." And he turned and he said, "No, you never do anything for free." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, well, how much does it cost to do that? So let's say it was, you know, $600 for the day. He said, you write them an invoice that says this service, $600 discounted to zero, but it's never free. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. You're not giving them that you're discounting it for them. Right. Because the value of that thing is still the value of that thing. Whether you choose to not recoup any cash for it is a different thing. It's the same idea that free ticket means nothing to anybody. You could give, you could discount a ticket down to zero and that means something. 
I worked in, uh, yeah, I, as Dave said, I worked in theater for uh, nine years in sales and marketing. And uh, we had that on every opening night. Um, we would have, like, we would, we would have RSVPs. We would turn people away because we had, like, so many people had RSVP that were going to come to the show because we'd invite dignitaries and sponsors and government officials, etc. And then you'd start the show and there were 60 empty seats. And every time someone will be, be like, well, what happened? Why, like, why didn't people turn up? Because like, the ticket was $0. Like, no, it's a $40 ticket. Well, it's only $40 if they come tomorrow. But they're not going to be here tomorrow because they don't want to see the show. <laughs> so, it's yeah, it's it's not a $40 ticket. It's a $0 ticket. Like, so you're, they're not out anything if they don't turn up. It's not like we're going to – we're like you. we had an empty seat, so now you owe us $40. <laughs> so there you go, Takis. Keep that in mind that when you're telling somebody what the price is, it's never free. It could be heavily discounted, but free equals no value. Yeah, right? and also you want to pay for stuff. I, you know, that's another – I don't know if this uh, – uh, you know, branches into the the greater topic of minimalism, but it's like, you know, when you talk about being intentional and whatnot, like um, there are people who will go, who will take something for free regardless of what it is, uh-huh. right? So like you see this at, at um, trade shows or at the Stampede, for example, uh-huh. like someone will just like reach out to you with a, a plastic bag and there's a whole s- s- uh, cohort of people who will not even think about what's in it. They'll just take uh-huh. that, right? And it, to me, I'm just sort of like, I don't want to acquire things like without meaning. Like I, whatever's in that bag, I didn't ask for it. I wasn't thinking about it. I probably don't want it. Like what's in that bag? It's a brownie. Okay. There. That's nice. Someone's going to like that. It's not me right now. So, and then to those people who hand those things out, don't be offended when I say no. (laughs) Costco is a great example of that, right? Everybody's like, oh, what are you giving away? Oh, I better have some of that. Were you really wanting to have some of that or is it just because it's free? Well, and I have the opposite with, uh, with when I go to Costco, when they're, you know, cause they're, you know, there's no one at their table and they're like, Hey, would you like some of this stuff? And uh, I have, I have celiac disease. So in general, I have to say no, cause I don't know what the hell it is that's, that they're got. And then there's this weird moment of like, but my job is to give you things right. and yeah. most people take them. So what's, what have I done wrong? How have I offended thee? I'm, like, I don't know. I just, I don't want the, I don't want the thing full of granola. No, no, thank you. Yeah. And there's, there's gotta no, be a, that's a whole thing. There's gotta be a better way too that we can, we can avoid the stupid song and dance of like when somebody says, Oh, would you like to try the sausage? And you're like, yeah, I'll try the sausage. Oh, Mm. Oh, this is this is absolutely delicious. Uh, uh, do you have a coupon for the like? <laughs> like, I have no intention. Can you just say that to the person? Yeah, um, I just want to taste that. I'm not going to buy it. And would you not talk to me about this <laughs> while I'm eating it here? The only reason I'm staying here is because the trash is here. I'm not. I'm not buying the cow when I just got the sausage for free. Man. Exactly. Right? <laughs> The one that drives me nuts, uh, sometimes I'll walk through the plus 15s at lunchtime. And uh, when you get to the core, the core, uh, there's always people hawking free samples of things at the door of their store. The tea store has a little tiny cup. Would you like to try a sample of the tea? Would you like to try a sample of this hand cream? I'm just like, no, I want you to all to go away right now. <laughs> Far too Canadian for you to offer me something and me to be able to turn it down. So stop it. Yeah, it's like a gauntlet, so, right? Yeah. 
so so Roger, your your method of dealing with that awkward Canadian moment is to to uh, to ask supplementary questions like, "Do you have a coupon?" Uh, Dave, how do you handle that moment when when you've got when you've taken the free sausage at the Costco and then you have to deal with that awkward moment? What do you say? I say, uh, "Oh, this is really t- oh, what's the kid doing?" And then I- <laughs> <laughs> solid, okay. What's yours, I, Keith? What do I, you do? I, I drop a simple. Uh, I'm going to think about that. <laughs> that's an interesting flavor huh yeah i need some more I'm time with this. yeah i like that i like to try to just <laughs> steer them right off it too this is a delicious sausage now have you been to tuscaloosa <laughs> this is tastes like there's mint is there mint in there what do children make these because that it would make like- that would be delicious if children made these sausages. Is this made with children? Because I can't eat children. <laughs> Are you a hundred percent sure, <laughs> Dave? Let's let's sure. go through this here, Dave. Uh, okay. ha- right. Hi there, um, uh, sir. Excuse me, sir. Sir. Uh, yes, yes. Would you like some sausage, sir? Oh, uh, uh, it's a summer yeah, sausage, so. sir. It's made by Schneider's. Oh, interesting. And uh, what's uh, what type of sausage is this? So this is a summer sausage, sir. It's made hmm. by Schneider's. I see. Yes, Schneider's. Uh, now, it's is it made of summer? Is that the? I don't quite follow the summer sausage part. Now, should I be? Uh, should I just be just like the type of person <laughs> who gives out the sausages? I would go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you been prepped for that question? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um. <laughs> Um, uh, summer is it made well oh the ingredients are sometimes on the package all right uh, pork I, you wouldn't believe how many times you've heard that <laughs> I am allergic to fall so there best not be a fall in that sausage uh, 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 best not have any more then all right, Takis, this is your mission. This is your uh, your Project Mayhem mission. Is to, the next time you're in the Costco, take the free sample and try to bewilder the person who's giving the samples out by asking questions that just they can't even possibly. Yeah, t- uh, beleaguered Taki Mike Benham is going to have a heyday with this one on his next Costco mission. I guarantee it. And by the way, what are kind we- of cheese is this? Is this made from goat's milk? What's going on with that? It's not cheese, sir. It's a pineapple. You're eating pineapple. That's not even cheese. Are we allowed to talk about Project Mayhem, by the way? Because <laughs> like we're not supposed yeah. to even be talking no, no, about this Fight is Club. The other thing you're not allowed to talk about, Roger. We're not even allowed to talk about that. That's my. <laughs> How did the same rule not apply to Project Mayhem? Clearly, guys, we're talking about. That. <laughs> The first rule of Project Mayhem is uh, is it has Hi, no rules. <laughs> it has it has no rules. Um, <laughs> the second rule is don't talk about it. But really, you've lost your audience by that point, right? <laughs> hey, by the way, were you watching the movie when you realized that you had to break the first two rules in order to grow the Fight Club? <laughs> there, if you've seen the the British show, uh, the the IT crowd, they they have a parody of that scene. Uh, they're they're playing like it's it, it it's a whole build up of they're playing a, a word game in the back uh, in the back alleys, uh, yeah, yeah, and they that. say that the first ga- the, the first rule of of street countdown is we would really like you to talk about street countdown because we're trying to grow it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start a political party that way though. Do not talk about what we're doing here. <laughs> The Fight Club was a movie that was ruined for me by my own uh, literary standards uh, in that I read 
uh, I started reading Roger Ebert's review and it listed some of the character names and it listed Edward Norton only as narrator. Oh, right. <laughs> and I was like, that's weird. Why doesn't he have a name? <laughs> and then I obsessed about that for a while while I was watching the movie. And, and to, to their credit, I only came up with the answer moments before they revealed it. So. <laughs> wow. You don't give the character a character name. I'm going to start asking questions. I do. Yes. Like, I do like the idea yes. of, of Edward Norton being a badass sex machine, though. So, sorry, Dave, I cut you off. Go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're watching uh, the Dark Knight Returns, okay. If you're watching that, and you discover that every time they talk about the child, they refuse to use a gender pronoun, you've already triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> It was never he. It was always the child, which is an odd way to speak about someone. So that one I figured out too. Well, Dave, once again, we have managed to grab the horns of the topic of conversation and bring it down to movies, which usually <laughs> indicates that the podcast is coming to an end. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have to ask Keith a two-part question. So, mm-hmm. Keith, here's our two-part question. Both parts are movie-related. Uh, so the first uh, first half of the question is, uh, uh, what film do you uh, feel uh, is your that most represents minimalism uh, as you see it, uh, or the best representation of minimalism that we've seen in a film that you can think of? The second half of the question: What's your favorite movie about minimalism? <laughs> <laughs> this is easier uh, if you're a baseball player, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, can, I can see how there's uh, there's. Uh, I'm even going to stay out of documentaries because um, I mean, clearly no, it's okay. like, uh, if, if you want to, if you want to <laughs> drop a documentary for, for part two, absolutely. So I'll, I'll say, uh, did I mute myself there? Am I still talking? Yeah, you're good. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I hit a button here and something lit up. Um, <laughs> the, uh, that would have been the most I'm minimalist gonna, answer, by back the way. In, I'm going to dig back into something actually that, that is earlier than, than the movement of minimalism and slow living. Uh, there's a movie called Sex Lies on Videotape. Oh, yeah. uh, starring James Spader and uh, uh, Laura San Giacomi and Como and, uh, and some other folks are in it. And uh, James Spader is this guy that lives out of his car and he travels. It's kind of vague how he makes his money and he travels around and uh, he's sleeping on his friend's couch and his friend is like, well, well don't you want to like, you know, have a place to live? And he said, no, because if I have a place to live, like I'm, that's a like an extra key. Right now, I have one key. I have the key to the car. If I if I get a place to live, I have a second key. And then if if I'm gonna have a place to live, I need to make more money than I have now. So I'm gonna have to get a job, and I might have to open then sometimes. And that's a third key. And that's like I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> so his whole life is is a minimalist lifestyle. His his apartment's basically empty. He's got a TV and and some uh, some videotapes, and he's got a video camera, and he lives out of his car. Because that's the way he wants to live. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, Fight Club's often mentioned as a minimalist uh, film, uh, specifically because of the, the, the things of, um, you know, I'm living the, the, you know, it, the IKEA lifestyle, um, the IKEA aesthetic. And you're just, just like if yeah, once all of his stuff is destroyed, he finally understands who he is. Uh, so it's definitely referenced a lot in minimalism. Um, I think, uh, uh, I also like uh, 
the new Jack Reacher, although I didn't like the second Jack Reacher film, it has an incredibly minimalist um, thing. So I'm going to say that scene from Jack Reacher is my favorite minimalist film. <laughs> for not the rest of the movie but there's a bit where he's he's arrested at the very beginning of the film it's in the trailer you just watch the trailer all the best parts are in it anyway yeah. it's all like that whole section um and they say he's got an expired military id 40 40 bucks in cash and a toothbrush and that's that's all he needs. He doesn't drive, so he doesn't need a driver's license. He's got the you know despite being expired the military id's fine to show who he is. <laughs> And that's it. He's got the clothes on his back. <laughs> he stays in he stays in cheap motels and has a dalliance <laughs> with Kobe Smulders. Life is good. Now I'm curious. That just twigged me a thought in me. So uh, last year, uh, my wife uh, bought another VW van. We had one earlier on, uh, right after we got married, got rid of it, and we just got another one. And so, of course, while looking up and trying to figure out what to do with it and repair it and that kind of thing, uh, I came across the, uh, the on Reddit. There's a group called Van Dwellers, and these people basically uh give up their houses and they move into a van they they're different than than how i would live in the westphalia which is that they uh they try to stealth camp basically so they buy a a sprinter or something like that and so from the outside it looks just like a normal delivery van or something like that but then they trick out the inside so that they can live in it uh so they're trying not to get noticed by anybody so that they can live without a mortgage and that kind of thing i suspect there's a bit of a crossover into the the minimalist lifestyle there yeah absolutely and it's uh, you know we i mentioned the minimalist documentary minimalism um documentary about the important things is on netflix Uh, there's also one on uh on tiny homes uh, and tiny homes, there's tons of crossover from the slow living and minimalism. I mean, if you're going to live inside a tiny home, you're going to live inside three or 400 square feet, you automatically have to be a minimalist. Um, like, unless you're, unless you're going to defeat the entire purpose by getting a giant storage unit somewhere. <laughs> right um, outside your tiny really, home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you just get a, get a, just get a shipping container to sit next to your tiny home. Um, you have to be a minimalist. So, there's tons of crossover there. And the the biggest piece is that there is a point at which we look at how we're spending our lives, which, you know, which we're spending a third at minimum of our lives in most people's cases on their job. Um, and sometimes much, much more than that, you're giving up time with your family. You're giving up time with your children to, work 80 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week, traveling, uh, being away for days at a time. And most, many people, I won't say most people, but I think this is something people should be asking themselves is, are you working to pay for things that you don't actually need and trading time with your family and with yourself for the benefit of having a bigger house and an extra car that you don't actually need um if you could i mean the dream for me is to eventually get to a point where i can work two or three days a week and live in a cheaper place a cheaper place um that's what 10 years from now looks like for me is that i'm living in a, a community that is much cheaper than the city i'm living in working two or three days a week which is attainable in a smaller community um but um if you're you know, it's, some of it's keeping up with the Joneses, but some of it is like, you know, you feel like you've earned it. Like you've worked so hard, so you've got to spend the money. Um, but, you know, that's just a circular way of looking at it. 
Um, there's a way off that treadmill and tiny, tiny homes is one of the ways. I mean, when people look at, okay, well, I've got, I've got 50 or a hundred thousand dollars in equity in my big house for 30 grand, I can make a tiny home and live on it. So I could be debt free tomorrow if I do that plan and I don't have to change anything else in my life. Um, but I could stop working the job I'm working. I could work less or I could focus on art or I could focus on being an actor or whatever you want to do with your life um, and walk away from, you know, the half million dollar house that you're working so hard to maintain something that is not actually giving pure value to your life. So yeah, there's tons of crossover, tiny living, slow living, all of these things come down to the same thing of how are you using your time? How are you using your energy and your attention? Um, and uh, your attention and your intention. Well put. Uh, your website is, I like to help.com. I like helping. I like, I like, I like helping.com. Uh, minimalism in a nerdy world. So if you Google uh, minimalism in a nerdy world, it'll also take you to it. Um, and uh, I like helping. Uh, it, we mentioned before the show that, that couldn't believe that that uh, domain was open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also could not buy it. I could not believe it was open. So I bought it as soon as I saw it. Uh, it was kind of a catchphrase for me that uh, people, would, I would help out my wife. I would help out friends i would do something for them and they would say thanks for your help and i'd say well, i like helping uh, so it was kind of it was a catchphrase but it's a bit of a mission statement too of uh my goal is i'm not I'm gonna, i picked the wrong field if i wanted to make money off of this kind of thing <laughs> uh, you know selling things to people that you're trying to convince to own less uh, is a really bad mar- <laughs> bad uh, business plan um, so <laughs> I mean, the but- value for me is helping is connecting with people and helping them but although you like helping people, I think that you're maybe you're not thinking this far out enough in that I bet you there's a bunch of people listening right now who are struggling with all the stuff that you were just talking about and thinking, what do I do? Where do I start? How do I start getting rid of that stuff? And I bet you some of those people would be interested in you coming and even just standing there and going, it's going to be okay. You can get rid of that thing. Yeah. And I bet you people would pay you to do that. I'm certain that that would happen. Like a, a minimalism yeah. consultant. And here's yeah. how – I see this really brilliant. You know, Like you could sell basically a one-hour consultation for $100 or a 30-minute consultation for $200. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you $100 so I can just go in and throw out anything. Yeah, the like if you permission to walk in and toss anything, that's even. I'll I'll pay you. That's, I'm so good. Awesome. I will minimize your life in five minutes. <laughs> it's a thousand it's, bucks. It is, so much, it is so much easier to minimize someone else's stuff. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, but, particularly and, and when they leave the room. That there are people who who run into that challenge, and I, I mean, I, I've it's it's a it's like the the action paralysis. I, there's probably an actual name for it, but where you you look around your room and you're like, I should really start organizing this. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where to start. Yeah. I'm going to go eat some chips. Yeah. And you're done. That's it. That's all the organizing you've done for the day. But someone like you could come in and you could say, you know what? I don't have the sentimental attachment to your stuff. So whether it's you going, ah, throw that shit out, that's, it doesn't even have to be that. But it's you looking at it objectively and going, you know what? You've got a lot of books over there. Why don't we start by that? Let's go through these books. You take out, you know, your 10 favorite. And then I'm going to put the rest of them in a box, just like you said, put them in a box for you. It's going to sit there for a while. I'm going to come back in a week and we're going to talk about what's in there. Guarantee you people would pay you for that. I'll be, I'll be brutally cold. I'll be like, uh, like, so what's your, your life expectancy is about 35 more years. Uh, so say you can read 10 books a year. Um, 
<laughs> assuming no new books come out that you want, we can cap this at three fifty. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Put them on a book diet. <laughs> well, Keith, thank no, you. I, I, uh, you know what? We'll uh, we'll ask the talkies. Maybe some people will uh, yeah. speak up. But I bet you there's a there's a market for the uh, minimalist consultant. Oh, sure. guarantee there is. If there's a if there's a market for the TV show hoarders, there's a market for <laughs> a minimalist consultant. So uh, yeah, let us know how it goes, Keith. If you want some business coaching, Dave and I are uh, at your disposal. <laughs> I th- I've been thinking that the term minimalism audit. I like it. Um. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, Keith, this has been a ton of fun, man. Thank you very, very much for uh, for spending some time with us on the National Talkie League Overtime Podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to the National Talkie League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkieleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media, give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store, and connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.